0: Welcome to A Better HR Business, the podcast that looks at how HR consultants and HR tech firms grow their businesses and how they help their employers to get the best out of their people. Remember for show notes and downloads, go to www.getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. That's getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. Okay, let's get started.
1: Hello everyone and welcome back to the show, Ben here. I'm delighted to be joined by one of the most interesting people you'll meet in HR, Lucinda Carney. Lucinda's a chartered psychologist and founder and CEO of Actus, which is a diverse software and consulting company based in the UK. She's also host of the very cool HR Uprising podcast and the author of the new book, How to Be a Change Superhero. So Lucinda, thanks very much for joining me today.
2: Hi Ben, thank you very much for having me on.
1: And whereabouts are you based?
2: I'm over in Hertfordshire in the UK.
1: Lovely, lovely. Now, folks, if you're listening, this interview very nearly didn't go ahead uh, because we were chatting prior to starting the recording and Lucinda revealed to me that she was actually at the World Cup final in (laughs) Sydney when England beat Australia. So I'm still, you know, a little bit singed by that moment. But it's only 20 years
2: ago. (laughs) 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 Our wins are few and far in between, so I won't worry too much. We've got to
1: enjoy them. So, Lucinda, do you want to start by giving us a little bit about your background and the formation of Actus?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I guess starting out my career background, uh, before I came into professional work, I, I did a psychology degree. I graduated in that. I did a master's in psychology. Um, but I was never really a sort of pure on psychologist, if you like. So, I also, in parallel, started in sales roles. And I remember sitting in my very first sales training course and looking at learning and development. On the training course, and go, ah, training's what I want to do. So from then on, I spent probably 20 years in a range of training roles sales training, leadership development, um, and ultimately in most senior sort of learning and development and organizational development roles in mm-hmm. corporate organizations. So that's where I spent my career prior to you know jumping onto the other side of the fence um, in terms of setting up a sort of consultancy and software business. But what it really means, I suppose the reason that's particularly relevant, and I know in your background, we were talking about as well being hr and also marketing it, it gives you a unique insight into the pain points that many of our customers have um yeah. and so that's one thing i've always had a real empathy for what's going on and certain aspects and functionality that's built into our software is directly related to pains that i experienced when i was um in a corporate world
1: sure that makes sense so do you want to lead us into how the business actually got started
2: yeah absolutely so um so in 2009, I'd done oh, too many years, let's say 20 years in, um, in those roles. And I felt that I kind of learned everything I was going to learn. I'd become as senior as I was going to in those organizations without becoming a generalist HR um, director. And so I wanted a new challenge. I figured time to set up on my own in fact I say 2009 just before the recession what a brilliant time to set up on your yeah. own um and you know what did I know how to do I knew how to be a trainer so I set up initially just breaking you know, making money through training and I always had to make money because I was a primary breadwinner I had young kids at the time my husband was um, looking after them so I offered out uh, training and organizational development consultancy and all the time though I knew I wanted to build something I didn't want to just sell my time and I suppose that's when I started to look at the market and thought, well, what do I know? And it was around the time when employee engagement was quite big. We had uh, been, we, we'd used Gallup surveys at high cost in our, in the organization that I'd been in. We'd also um, looked at how important people and performance management was. And we had introduced into, I worked for a part of Siemens and uh, we had actually developed our own uh, performance management system um, internally with the IT department. So I understood performance management and I saw it as the, I understood it's the role that it played in embedding good people management practice, which in turn drove engagement. Yep. So simply, I thought, great, that's what I want to do. I'm going to white label um, some performance management software. That must be really easy. And so I got out there Googling and the only one I could find at the time was SuccessFactors. Obviously before it got bought by SAP. Um, and they don't, they're not interested in anybody below a certain size and still aren't obviously, they're such enterprise software. Mm. So I couldn't find anything to white label and naively thought, well, how difficult can it be to build our own? And so set out working, this must be in about 2011, working with developers in India. And that was a fun time because I would be on Skype to these developers in India, explaining what the software needed to do. and hoping that they understood and quite often they didn't. And, uh, you know, we sort of, we, we painstakingly got our first version of Actus, which I took to market and 2012, I think it probably was where we started to um, win our first few customers and it was proof of concept at that stage, but all the time I was still having to bring in money as a trainer um, and a consultant. So it was, it was always sort of slightly a sideline, um, in order to, Get it to take off. So then I think in about 2013, I realized that I had to switch focus. If it was going to go anywhere, I needed to really switch into more um, focusing on the software first and foremost. So uh, we did that. We then got sort of 10,000 users. Um, as we went on, as many people I think who've got software will identify with, unless they were, well, certainly that first iteration, we realized that however much I thought I knew about what people want, They still all want something slightly different and uh, the software is always being developed and evolved in order to uh, deal with these slightly different requirements. So we realized in about 2015 that actually the thing to do would be to rebuild it from scratch Mm -hmm. and um, rebuild it in a sort of version two, very imaginatively named, (laughs) you know, in a a tool which is entire, which is very, very, very configurable. There's a whole benefit we had then as we realized there were so many options that people wanted. If we had something highly configurable, it meant we could be really flexible to deliver, you know, the nuances that people think they want. Um, And it is think they want because sometimes They are counterproductive, Um, (laughs) but we were able to do that in a sort of affordable way. So it's not like some of the big ones where you are paying so much in implementation that you're having to literally build it for every client. The idea was if we'd thought it all through and we'd got that experience we already had, we could make it a very, very configurable and flexible product. And I'd say that was probably about 2016. We we relaunched that. I think it was about September. It all merges into one, isn't it? You think you're on a sort of three-year journey. Ten years later, here I am.
1: Brilliant. That is some journey.
2: Yeah. It is when you look back on it. <laughs> that's why I feel so old and tired. <laughs> oh,
1: and look, you were you were doing virtual meetings before they were cool, that's for sure.
2: Absolutely. Yeah they were really not cool at all, five o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yeah. To, um, to India.
1: Yeah, I know what you mean. So let's find out exactly what Actus does. Mm-hmm. What what do you guys do and then how do you help your customers and clients?
2: Yeah. Um so actually There are a few answers to this question because I think about it in a number of ways. I've been thinking Mm -hmm. more recently um, is that actually I'm going to start with the why. And that sounds a bit cheesy, but we've been doing some thinking as a business. And and one of the things I felt that's been really important is about having the right culture and having people behind us. And in order to do that, we had to want to think, well, why are we here to do this? Why are we still doing this 10 years on? And so our why is to we exist to build a better workplace, So although what I'm going to tell you is what we do is have software, but that is part of the story as to why we also do the other stuff we do. So the consultancy and the podcasts and, and things like that, because actually what we want to do is build something bigger than just software and less transactional what we want is to make sure that managers have got the tools and the structure that means they're going to create better working environments manage people better better people experience um, and also i've got a bit of a passion for hr and your HR um, to get the get the credit that they deserve i think they can be sometimes the the Uh, unsung heroes maybe not even unsung. they just they often don't maybe value themselves or aren't valued and I think that if they have the visibility and tools and also maybe the confidence to um, create value in their organizations then that also is going to benefit everybody so that's our our why is actually trying if if all if both managers and HR and leaders are all doing a better job with the right tools and we'd like to think that actors is an enabler of that then actually we will have a better workplace what do we do (laughs) well um so it's basically it's it's performance and talent management software so it's software as a service and people who don't know what performance management software it's things like objective setting appraisal um, feedback that sort of thing so the performance management cycle so managing people and performance and then also we've we've got a vision now to make ourselves an end-to-end talent not just performance management but talent management Mm -hmm. so we've got onboarding then you'd have performance management and then the other end you've got things like um talent profiles talent pools and succession planning which of course that's the sort of thing i would have done so i would have liked to have had our software to have been able to link into leadership development programs or talent pools that i was Mm -hmm. managing that makes sense We've got other things just in terms of um, we've got financial services specific compliance module. So that's a specific pain point in a certain area. And we also do things like 360 feedback and um, building an LMS. So it's becoming a more rounded product, but at the core of it, it's about performance and talent management.
1: Yeah. And again, it comes back to that journey. So you started off with a, not quite an MVP, a minimal viable product, but you started with yeah. a, a much more narrow focus and you've reached out to the talent life cycle. Yeah, Um, and
2: you have to be a specialist. I think you have to be a specialist to start with. But then in the marketplace that we're in, it's pretty competitive and there's lots of noise and, you know, people want one tool. So it makes sense for us to try and um, align ourselves in in terms of other areas in which organisations are going to want um, to stop them from having multiple systems effectively.
1: So hence the expansion into the, the broader talent areas. And do you need to focus on integration of the other hr related software or platforms
2: well it it, that that minimizes the integration because i think although you can integrate in terms of the back-end data um, and by integration we tend to do it through sftp we would tend to receive from um, a secure file transfer so we tend to be the recipient from an hris let's say if they've got one of the bigger um ones in in place and we would integrate in that respect Um, but you still don't necessarily get the reporting and the value add and that's why we wanted to have the sort of end-to-end talent piece because then you have the visibility um, in that one platform
1: so you can track employee lifecycle on the talent side from start to finish
2: yeah and there's a big gap between we get all that data in recruitment you know if into applicant tracking systems and hardly any of them then pull that through you you recruit somebody because they've got this amazing profile you then bring them on board and we don't set them any objectives the first three months and we don't have a clue what they've done in the past so that's one of the things we're trying to solve is that you get that data straight away from the ats so that we can get the best out of that talent from day one and make them feel valued
1: yeah okay that makes good sense So I'm an an HR guy and a marketing guy, strange mix, but I'm always curious as to how businesses acquire customers and clients and then how that evolves over time. So how has that worked for you guys? How did you get your first customers and clients and then how does that work these days?
2: So my very first customers and clients, right at the start, I thought my target market was SMEs. Um, like sub 250 and actually i'd now say that that's almost the bottom level for our target market we we fit very well in the mid-size marketplace um but at the start i got (laughs) back in when i was at at university I knocked I sold aerial photos door to door and I practically that's how I got my customers to start with so I went through my books of people that I knew who worked in small businesses who'd been contacts and so I just worked through LinkedIn initially and cold called if you like and then said can I come talk to you and got some like I probably got our first five or six customers that way through some contacts of contacts or people that I'd worked with Um, and they were tended to be in small businesses um as we grew up um Obviously, as I said, we bootstrapped a long time. So in the in version one, a lot of our leads was through thought leadership content marketing. Again, quite early, um, and in those days, because actually that was before. This was even before Google sponsored ads. So I remember that had a big hit on our leads. That we used to write lots of content and do blogs, and it was out there and yeah. we'd be searchable and we'd come up quite high yeah. um, on, on the search list. And then they brought in sponsored ads. No, they already had sponsored ads. Sorry, but what they did was they the early
1: days, yeah.
2: they made them less obviously sponsored ads, and it. Didn't did have a hit because um, so people would click on those first ones. Whereas I think people used to avoid them yeah. when they were obvious that that's what they were. Um, so sort of thought leadership and content marketing is how we started out because that was free. Then we would gradually start using platforms like Captera um, for, and more recently AdWords, but we've tried all of the pay-per-click platforms with varying levels of success. Mm-hmm. Um, increasingly now it's things like referrals, um, from clients or people that already know us because we 've got more of a name for ourselves, and I think also we've gone full circle again with the thought leadership um, because things like the well things like the the podcast, but also you know during lockdown we've been doing loads and loads of webinars and just putting valuable content out there. People then kind of realize what you're doing is of value. Um, hopefully they get to know you they may not have a need for what we do, but they will think of you maybe recommend you to someone else, so that's how I feel. the the engine is building it's about um longer term view towards the old funnel really and focusing on doing the right thing at the top of the funnel hopefully
1: and working its way through that's what Um, you
2: marketers would advise hopefully (laughs) yeah yeah
1: i am curious with the coronavirus impact on content marketing in the sense that now there are so many free webinars so many free Mm -hmm. sessions of this that the other that it's harder to stand out how are you dealing with that challenge
2: being very very quick I think is what I would say, so instantly we turned around ten top tips for home workers, and I had I think one hundred and fifty people on it. We pushed it out, so we just developed the content very quickly because we 're a small business and marketing team report into me, and banged it out there, and we had some massive numbers on those first few weeks. So I was doing it practically daily, and then probably even after ten ten weeks to ten weeks to, sorry ten days to fourteen days that one no then you kind of get people are not interested in that anymore. so then we moved on to other topics so i think what we did was we read we were fortunate we read what what was going on and because i'm i'm kind of interested in this stuff i've you know the book i've written this book as you know i'll probably mention later but i'm kind of noticing stuff which is very relevant and i think it's interesting so creating content which is which is right up to the minute and then publicizing it. So really I think just being very responsive because after about a month and everyone was doing webinars, but I think we were some of the earliest ones to be doing it. And then that meant that some of the people who'd been listening to our webinars knew they were quite interactive because let's face it, there are some really dry webinars out there um, and then signed up for others. So I now think we're really reading that back now because I think perhaps everyone's had Zoom or webinar to a certain extent. Um, it goes back to writing content and more of a tra- traditional ways of providing content, I think.
1: Sure. Yeah. That's a clever way to do it. And certainly that first mover thing really works and also segmenting into different areas, more niched topics, I guess, is, is another way that others are seeing success. So that's really good.
2: Yeah, I'm sure. And I think it was a bit of luck rather than judgment, but we were just <laughs> quick. We were just quick on it. Like, yeah. That was what we could do because we knew that, to be perfectly honest, in terms of our regular lead generation, the tap had been turned off in terms of things like pay. In fact, we even, we've just stopped C- Capterra, so we just didn't get junk for the bit, this early stage of the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. So it saved the money um, and just face it. And let's just look on value creation.
1: Yeah. Now you did mention the book and the podcast. Can you tell us about them? Because they're a huge learning source for many people in the HR industry. So can you tell us about them?
2: Yeah. So this is an interesting, because it's also about, I think, how we flipped the business and I've almost flipped it back. So talking to other people I know who have been tech businesses. So um, I made that conscious decision, I don't know, about 2013, that I had to almost step back from being a consultant, you know, a trainer and, and focus on trying to grow a software business and focus on the product now i think it was about i say it was just over 12 months ago i felt really that we, we we got quite a good grounding we knew what we we're doing i've got a great team and it was freeing me up more to maybe be able to write more of the thought leadership and do the stuff that i'm passionate about and actually that i'm better at um and i actually had some coaching with somebody who said you really should think about sharing some of this knowledge that you've gathered and and i think you know we've been around a bit you often think that everyone knows what you know and they might have heard of it, but perhaps they don't because actually we've been around quite a few years. <laughs> and so, um, well, actually podcast is really um, training, but just breaking it down into chunks. And I realized quite quickly that with the HR Uprising podcast, it's about understanding the market that there's a, I'm passionate about, I said earlier, helping HR to be valued and getting information isn't always easy and a lot of the stuff that's out there isn't very practical so what I wanted to do is try and make sure that I was doing podcasts on topics where I had some background or knowledge then I would try and make it as practical as possible so you know how to put in place a performance management strategy how to deliver change any of these sort of how-to type topics yeah so I, I covered a lot of those and then obviously now we've we've done 60 odd episodes. So I also now get on experts who, who will come on, but I'll try and keep the theme as a bit of a masterclass. So they've got something specific and pragmatic to, to add. So like we've got, it's, it's just finding out what your podcast is about, a bit like you've, you know, you've got a different, um, it's, it's knowing what the purpose of your podcast is. Um, and of course, what's really great about it is then that if people want help or customers want to help, they go, well, how do we do such and such? We go, well, actually here's a podcast on this, here's a white paper on this. And then I suppose if we link into the book, it was coincidentally along the same time I did a, if anyone wants to write a business book, I highly recommend it. It's a lady called Alison Jones, Practical Inspiration Publishing. She has a 10 day business book bootcamp. And I felt like I'd had a book in my head for 10 years, but never really known how to download it. And so it just takes you through what you need to do to write a proposal. I've realized, I thought all well, change is something that I thought my first business was advanced Change, named the consultancy when we work with our customers The difference between them doing a good job and a bad job is about whether or not they manage the culture change or they roll out the system in a you know a change aware way and we try anyway to provide them with that expertise and consultancy I thought if I could really crystallize this and turn it into a book then that's what it was about so I uh, went through this and. I actually got a publishing contract with these guys which gave me the confidence made me think I've nice. actually got to write it <laughs> she, said, as well, she said if the publisher thinks it's going to be decent I'll have to write it <laughs> and so um, wrote the book How to Be a Change Superhero and again it's really practical so I, I do draw in on psychology and aspects like that, but it's not a high, it's not a highbrow read. It's something that's really quite practical. You can pick up and hopefully it's got usage for anybody who's involved in change. It's not just HR professionals, but very, very usefully it's got a kind of a toolkit that sits alongside it, which we can go now to any of our new customers. They come on we go, brilliant, you're welcome. Um here's how to do you know what do you want to achieve. And by the way, here's the book, here's the toolkit. We're here to help you get value out of your software investment not just implement software so very it fits cool. quite nicely
1: yeah what's in the toolkit
2: um so it's right alongside the book so the first things are things like um infographics or maybe a diagnose a diagnostic and a very easy one saying you know what are your strengths if you're the change agent um are you good at talking about strategy are you a good communicator so helping you to be self-aware about your own skills um, other things would be looking at stuff like Myers-Briggs or Belbin and how that might be relevant in either communicating change or uh, in terms of building a change team because actually in large-scale change you need to have a range of people and bring them in at the right time and then the third section is about doing organizational change so that is things like a stakeholder analysis document a planning document a, a communication a why what how templates and things like that are the sort of third the third stage of it
1: Brilliant. And how did it feel when you finally finished the book and you know, you're approaching the release stage and, and getting out there and selling it to the world?
2: Well, two things. I feel really proud of having done a book now and having a tangible book. I have to say, you have. Impo- I wonder whether you, Ben, when you launched the podcast, the week before I launched the podcast, <laughs> on oh my word, honestly, I yeah. was so nervous, massive imposter syndrome. So. Yeah. F- uh, Drank far too much wine and nerves, uh, kind of doing it the night before, <laughs> and and I, I think I'm hoping I won't be quite the same with the book. But there is something about putting yourself on a pedestal and being worried about it being shot down. And you know, I r- just recorded the book for Audible, and I you know I went through most. I thought actually most yeah that's fine that's thought, Oh my goodness, you read back on other things, goes that chapter's nonsense. You know, so <laughs> and I even emailed the publisher and said. Uh, is it normal to sometimes think something's absolutely normal? She said, yes, she said, that's like completely normal. She said, But also you'll sometimes go, oh, who wrote that? That's really good. And so I think it's just part of the normal, you know, the challenge. But overall, I'm, I'm proud of actually finally getting myself down and, and, and yeah. doing it. It's, it's an achievement, isn't it? So That's
1: great. I love that. Do you know what? Someone sent me a, a video of a speech I gave to a really large group of employers years ago and I was cringe central. Horrible to watch. I'm sure it was fascinating uh, for the the audience, but it was horrible to watch that. (laughs) Yeah,
0: Yeah. absolutely.
1: That's great. But it's certainly inspiration because I know plenty of people have a book inside their head and it's trapped in there. So I think hearing your story will be inspiring to many others.
2: Yeah, I think it's a really good credibility. And if you can do something that, and this is what that particular publisher is good at because they, um, it's about a business book to support your business so you can think about how it fits together and you get your it perhaps fits with your message and, and what you're here to do and yeah. certainly that's the purpose of ours is to try and help people get more out of it so it does does link
1: yeah and for listeners there's not much that beats a book in terms of improving your referral strategy too because it's hard to say to someone can you please refer us to your contact base but it's a lot easier to say hey do you think anyone in your network would be interested in this book that's really useful and it's got a toolkit that comes with it? It's actually a really powerful referral tool, so yeah, take note.
2: I'll be using it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> uh, Lucinda, this is great. What do you see coming down the road for HR and the world of work and what should listeners do to get prepared for these changes?
2: I doubt that I'm going to say anything groundbreaking compared to anybody else, <laughs> um, but I think I think it's time for HR to lead the way in terms of fresh working practices. Yeah. They have been thrust into the spotlight in terms of making things up as they've gone along. And that's not their fault into reactivity with laws that didn't exist. They had massive leadership roles in um, making sense of legislation. Um, and that's kind of still your transactional leadership stuff. It's, it's essential, yeah. but going forwards, you know, this, this whole leading, leading the way in which we see people and maybe maintaining this human aspect and being realistic about the fact, do we need to go back to how we did do it so can we for example move to virtual people management practice and obviously i would endorse systems like ours for virtual people management um but a system is just a system it gives you the visibility and the structure and maybe those people who at the top didn't trust systems in the past it it may assure them but really what's important for hr is to make sure that the right behaviors um are in place and we value people and you know when we first started lockdown the main thing was i think everyone going? Well, how are you and oh and the children, we knew about people's kids and, and pets that we never knew <laughs> about before and actually maybe that's really what we need to be is have that human bit there so i'd like to see that hr can lead the way in terms of technology but human tech human technology um, and make sure that people and talent are valued i i do think it's going to be very interesting in terms of what this is going to mean in terms of talent which that word is a bit tenured you know but actually uh will we need to do more internal uh, recruitment will we Mm. find it harder or more difficult to get skills uh i think there's lots of interesting areas there about stuff but it's it needs to be all about people being very human
1: definitely and it could go anyway we may find it easier to to find new talent because it's available anywhere now because we're virtual or it might be more to to suit the new culture the other thing that springs to mind is and i'm sure i'm butchering the phrase but You hear a lot of people saying that culture is the way people act when the boss isn't around, you know, when when there isn't leadership around And, and now everyone's working from home. So, uh,
0: well,
2: yeah, treat, but and then some of that is about treating people like adults. Because if we've created a culture of not trusting people, then maybe they are going to slack off. But actually, if we empower people, recognise people, give people clarity about what we're trying to achieve, most people want to be productive. Um, so you know, it's, it's but we need to give them the tools, and actually, very importantly, the managers need to. Um, yeah. Managers do need to step up, and that's, yeah. and that's we know that in the UK particularly that managers aren't necessary given the development that they they need. So I think that's quite a key area for HR to focus on too.
1: For sure. Okay, Lucinda, for people who want to learn more about the business, learn more about you, potentially partner with you in some way or just become a customer or client, what should they do next?
2: So um, if anyone wants to visit our website, that's an easy way to get hold of us. So the website is um, www.actus.co.uk. If you want to just access the podcast, that's hruprising.com. And my name is Lucinda, so I'm it's quite, it's quite easy to find, but it's L-U-C-I-N-D-A. So you can email me lucinda at or I'm on LinkedIn, Twitter, um, and various other. Uh, those are probably my two main social media um, channels. So I welcome people linking in.
1: And the book, where would they find that?
2: Um, so that will be available on Amazon, um, but it should be in bookshops. <laughs> if any of us ever goes to a bookshop or an airport again, it should even be in those places. Hmm. We'll see. <laughs> perfect, perfect. So look out for it. Excellent. But you can, you can get this through the website as well. So just oh, go great. to Actors and you find it there.
1: All right. Well, thank you very much, Lucinda. Really appreciate you taking the time to share your thoughts and experiences and advice for people listening. So thank you.
0: Ben, thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us today on A Better HR Business, the podcast that explores the world of HR consulting and HR tech businesses. For show notes and downloads, go to www.getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. That's getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. Remember to subscribe and share the show with any friends who are busy growing a HR business. Thanks and see you next time.